You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to the Essential Apple Podcast, a show where we cover the last 7 to 10 days in the world of Apple news, reviews, rumours, roundup, gossip, tech and, well, basically, anything else that catches our eye. This is the Essential Apple Podcast. Hello, and indeed it is. And this week, Mark is somewhat delayed. Uh, When I rang him, he sounded like he was in a hurricane. But uh, talking of hurricanes, Hurricane Irma has wreaked havoc and devastation on the Caribbean and is currently making landfall in Florida. So with Hurricane Jose lining up for a double whammy, could we please just ask you to consider making a donation to a reputable disaster relief charity? Anyway, this week I am joined by Jeff Rogers of Ideas Into Print, who are uh, book packages, and uh, Jeff will explain that to us shortly. Uh, He's a committee member on the local mug and a fairly long-term associate of mine. So welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you very much, Simon. Good to be here. Uh, Well, we normally start by asking our guests a few questions, so I will start off. Could you explain to the audience exactly what a book packager actually is? Well, for people who are not uh, au fait with the publishing industry, it's not someone who actually wraps up books and sends them to the bookshop, but it's a term well-known for companies or even just individuals who create the books for the publishing company um, with the cost of, you know, uh, London premises or high salaries. It does suit book publishers to have a number of teams out in the sticks who are sometimes working at home or in small offices composed normally of an editor or editors and design people who, having given the topic to create a book, actually do all the hard work. And then they prepare the, the te- they commission the author, they edit the text, they get or take the pictures. I'm talking about illustrated books here and design the product according to the format that the publisher has um, asked for. It may fit into a series that they're all rerunning. And Well, we packed up a few years ago now, but, you know, we got to the point of the most of the books were were printed in China. We would send either a DVD or stream the material over there from our front room. And this technology, this this has been made possible by the Apple technology and all the other, um, you know, updates of uh, communications that have uh, occurred in the last few years. So we go back a long way in a, an industry which is many centuries old, if you like, and had very straightforward ways of doing things from sort of wood block printing to hot metal to all other types of uh, typesetting to to a very modern way of doing producing a product which is in fact looking the same as it ever did only the product is produced in in an entirely different way does that make sense to our to our listeners in any way oh i think so Uh, and i think as you described it uh, in the same way as independent production companies create programs for tv channels you do that for books yeah well i think that's very good that's right indeed well we did did right now we're you know getting on a bit (laughs) okay (laughs) 
So you used to do that. Then, we right? used to do it, absolutely. Fair enough. We also usually ask uh, our guests what sort of Apple kit they have now or have had in the past. I take it that being in the publishing industry, you've had uh, Macs for quite a long time. Yes, we started, I mean, I started in the publishing industry in 1967, which is 50 years ago. And uh, at that point, you know, it was hot metal typesetting and um computers in the modern sense uh, weren't used but then we started on our own in 1983 and I do remember we had a 2CX um, connected to a laser printer connected to a monochrome monitor which was like the size of a house like huge thing and I remember paying I think 11,000 pounds for that kit yeah, well, that I think is, we took three years that is amazing because my first my first kit was almost identical a 2cx with the uh monochrome portrait monitor do you remember that it was an a4 yes. upright yes monitor. yeah i didn't um, have one of those but we had the you know larger larger format it wasn't an upright yeah go on i know what you mean yeah and yeah. uh the laser writer 2nt and That's I it. think the cost of that setup was almost exactly the same as yours. It cost about a yes. ten, eleven thousand pounds. That's it. And uh, That's it. I think we were running Incredible. six system six oh three, I think, at the time. Uh, and okay. so, like you, uh, I've been on Max pretty much ever since. Yes. So yes. Absolutely. We. I think we were running a very early version of Quark Express. Does does two point one make any sense? Uh, yes, uh, very, very much I... so. Uh, I started out with PageMaker, and then I yeah, think no, we... then when PageMaker fell behind the curve, we switched over to Quark yeah. uh, version yeah. three, I think, maybe four. Uh, I, st right. I, stuck, I stuck with Quark until I never really liked Quark personally, but I stuck with it. And we we never did. We we never got on with Quark. I think it stems from the point where we bought a single license. Okay. And I phoned up, and I think we must have had more than one 2CX. I phoned Quark people up for a query and then called over to our designer to check it on his machine. And, and they said, are you running this on two machines? And I had to admit that I was. And they asked me, you know, quietly or quite demonstrably to shut the other one down and so on and so on. So I somehow thought that was a bit mean-spirited. I know that's the letter of the law, but I, I had paid for the first version, and I, somehow I never got on good terms with, with the Quark. That it's, uh, I think that was very much the way that Quark worked. As you say, strictly speaking, you know, you were outside the terms of the agreement, but uh, I, I personally never found Quark a particularly intuitive program to use. So as soon as InDesign became uh, a viable alternative, I switched over to that, and I've been with... Uh, I've been using and that so ever have since. We. Yes, indeed. No, which I believe, if I'm right, wasn't isn't InDesign based on the PageMaker engine or something uh, well, of it's, that nature? It's, it's not actually based on the PageMaker engine. It was completely rewritten. But what they did do, right. what they did do, was they took uh, kind of the they took pretty much all the core shortcuts and the the philosophy right. of PageMaker. Uh, right. So if you'd ever used PageMaker and you changed to InDesign, it it felt very yeah. very familiar uh, yeah and uh, that may be why i never really got on with quark 
Quark. That there's a certain philosophical difference between Quark and what is now in design about okay. how about how things should be put on the page. Um, right. For example, right. Quark, Quark was always very picky. If you drew a box and it was a picture box, it was a picture box, and that was that. Um, right. Adobe right. Uh, adopted the kind of page maker idea that when you draw a box, it's a box and it becomes a picture box if you put a picture in it and if you click in it with the type tool it becomes a type box uh so there you go but i'm sure we we don't want to bore everybody with too much of our in, no, in trade no, chatter. That, so that would do for that as i say mark's not available at the moment so we will have a look at some of the stories and have a chat uh the first one on our list of course the big news of this weekend is that apparently the ios 11 gold master has been leaked and uh Nine to Five Mac, I think, broke this story. That's certainly the link I've got. Um, they've got huge coverage of what is contained in this Gold Master. They've poked about and revealed all sorts of uh, information about what's going to be coming. Well, at least we assume that that is correct and that somebody's not sold them a complete dummy. But I'm sure they're probably capable of. <laughs> I'm sure they. I'm sure they're capable of telling that whether it's a decent uh, GM or not. Uh, I don't really want to talk about this, to be honest. Everybody. Else is talking about it. I want to save that till Tuesday when Uncle Tim comes on and tells us all about it. Then uh, next week I'm going to have a show and talk about it. There is a link. Tells all sorts of things. Uh, quite a lot of stuff about iOS 11 obviously has already come out because I- I'm a beta tester. Lots of other people have talked about it. But this GM has contains lots of information about the new phones allegedly, and I don't really want to talk about that. If anybody who uh, listens to this does, you can follow the link to. 9 to 5 Mac where they've got huge coverage but if you're like me and you don't want to ruin it then you probably shouldn't follow the link at all. I, we'll pass over that I think shall we Jeff? Yeah. I'm looking forward to Tuesday and I don't really want to know until uh, well, I watch the I'm, I'm with you on that and, and I'm someone old fashioned enough not to watch all the trails for TV programs and to know about something that's going to come up you know the next day or the day after that with incessant uh, snippets of of what's going to happen so it's it's in the same sort of um, yes, I think so. you know mind we don't want any spoilers yeah. we don't well as as few spoilers as it, possible indeed. i agree with you entirely simon yes talking about ios 11 this week the beta developer 11 slash public 10 arrived yet again hot on the heels of the previous one unsurprising obviously as the the deadline is fast approaching um and by this point in the in the cycle they do tend to come pretty quickly and you know that the changes are mostly bug squashes and gradual optimizations and i have to say that the iOS 11 on my phone is running really quite well now. There's a couple of couple of tiny uh, irritations. The share sheets sometimes annoy me. Uh, that's still not as stable as it ought to be, but I'm sure we'll get it. I don't have an iPhone, so I can't uh, comment on that. Simon. No, no. Well, there's there's not a lot to say about that, really, Jeff, because uh, okay. uh, early on in the betas, obviously, there were things to talk about as they made changes and different pieces were added and taken away. But to be honest, right now, uh, I think everybody who's interested in what's in iOS 11 knows well enough, and it's all over the web if you want to follow that. Well, I've got a story here which is 
YouTube for iOS can now live stream replay hit apps and games. And I think we'll leave that one. We'll leave that because that's Mark's baby and he knows more about that. Uh, and also there's a 2D game development engine which has now come to Mac OS. And I don't know anything about that. So we'll leave those, I think. And maybe we'll come back to those when Mark joins us. Um, good, plan. good plan. We've got quite uh, Right. Now, this one's a bit of a public service announcement. And it came uh, to me via, I think, uh, International Business Times, uh, which is don't fall for the missing font scam, which is spreading malware to Chrome and Firefox browsers. Apparently, there's a malware attack right. that is floating about. And what you get is one of these, you know, like the, the classic, you need to update your Flash browser yep, yep, uh, extension, yep. which, of course, leads you somewhere unpleasant. There's uh, <laughs> there's one which says the Hoofler text font was not found. The web page you are trying to load is displayed incorrectly as it uses Hoofler text font. To fix this error and display the text, you need to update the Chrome font pack, or no doubt, I guess, the same for yeah. Firefox. Um, and yeah. this will then take you uh, somewhere and do something unpleasant. So if you if, yeah. you, if you get that warning, uh, you should ignore it, basically. Don't what? click it. Back out. Be aware that that's a, that's a malware okay, I suppose scam. that doesn't affect Safari users then. Uh, well, that right? according to that... Not according to that article. No, it's it's attacking it's attacking Firefox and Chrome. Uh, I think that's to do with the way that they use extensions, which are done somewhat differently in Safari. So there you go. That's a win. For Safari, Is there any information about how many people use Chrome and Firefox as opposed to Safari? I mean, are they? Widely used? I uh, yeah, just don't know I, I that. don't know about Firefox. I know that Chrome is, is quite widely right. used. Um, some people like it. Okay. There are there are things that uh, Chrome does very well, and certain people really, really do like that. Um, what, okay. Uh, what does it do? It says here, two major campaigns uh, have spread to hundreds of thousands of computers, right? Uh, users should be aware this is an ongoing threat. Uh, infected users will probably not notice any change in their computer. Okay, the same Huffler tech pop-ups uh, have also appeared on compromised websites hosted on WordPress. So it's just okay. it's just another way of getting people to click on something and instead of doing the rather tired you need to update your Flash player which everybody knows is rubbish they've just taken a different ploy and one which probably more people would be inclined to click on I think if it just says you, you need to yeah. update your, your uh, font. Did you suggest that was on Windows as well? Oh yes, yes because it's tight. Yeah. that's on Windows yeah. and Apple because it's um, it's tied to the way that Chrome and Firefox uh, handle extensions. So effectively, it's a it's asking you to download a malformed yeah. uh, extension to do sure. unpleasant nice. things on behalf of the. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. That's good. And talking about malware as such, we have Avira, who are computer antivirus slash security protection company. Perhaps not right. uh, perhaps not as well known as as some of the others, but they are actually the company that I favour. Um, they do a free antivirus for Macintosh, which I've, right. I've used for some time. I used to use AVG until AVG changed their privacy policy and made it clear that in exchange for uh, using their free product, they were going to effectively track you around the web and sell that, which okay. uh, you know, no, well, at least they, they were open enough to say that they were going to do it and it was like, if you don't agree with this way that we're going to now monetize our free product, yeah. you, you should 
leave, so leave I did. Um, and I've changed right. to Avira. Now, Avira have, as I say, uh, distributed a free antivirus for Macintosh for some time. And they also have a VPN product, which is called Shadow VPN. And right. they have, which you could use for free, at least for a small amount. They have now packaged their whole thing together into a free security suite for Mac OS, uh, which mm-hmm. contains basically those two parts, real-time antivirus slash malware protection. And you get 500 uh, megabytes of use of their VPN for free. What does VPN stand for again? Okay, well, the VPN is the virtual private network, which is the the technology where you create an encrypted tunnel using that software between you and the server so that should anybody attempt to uh, hijack your transmission, then uh, all they'll get is garbage. Okay. Uh, And there are lots of reasons to use a VPN. One of the biggest, of course, is it's always handy to have a VPN available if you're talking about using free Wi-Fi, such as in a coffee shop or a pub. Okay. Uh, Because those are, I'm not saying it's super common, but they're quite easy for uh, nefarious people to sniff or otherwise interfere with right. or, or as we had a demonstration at, at, at the Mac user group ourselves where it's quite easy to, to create what appears to be a free Wi-Fi which is right. simply being used to monitor people's transmissions through sure. it and so there are we've talked about VPNs on here a lot and of course uh, okay. you have to you have to be careful what VPNs you use because uh, one VPN company recently were caught out doing exactly what they said they weren't doing which is they were protecting you from the bad guys but they were also collecting all your data and selling it themselves which kind of defeats the object while we're talking about security um you know this whole business of passwords yes okay but when you start join something new you asked for a new password, you know, for you to register, okay? And you can either type in your own or as you click on the box, you get in Safari anyway, a suggested password. You do indeed, okay? yes. Yeah. Is it yep. is it quite safe to use those? Because if I if I do that, I don't ever write them down because they're so complicated. Yeah. And it says you do want to save this password for this site or this, yeah. you know, program. Is that okay to do? That? Oh yes, very much so. The the built okay. the built-in password generator in Safari uh, is, yeah. is tied to your keychain, Jeff. So when what it, okay. it the idea Apple put that in there, and it's a similar sort of technology to commercial products such as One Password and others, yeah, which my... generate complicated passwords. Yeah. you know, sixteen yeah. alphanumeric codes. Yeah, uh, and Apple basically did it to help you know average users get yes that's more me. protection that's me. yes and basically <laughs> what you do is you say yes i'll have the the safari suggested password and then it Good. will save it and that is saved into your keychain and even more so for people like me if you've got an ipad or an iphone as well as your mac that that password right. is stored in your keychain and then is available to you everywhere so you if oh, you okay. go onto your uh, ipad and want to log into that site it will log you in from the stored secure right. you know, long complicated password without yeah. you having to worry about it uh, the only well, that's yeah the only time that's let me down 
is where you enter the password somewhere in the uh, in the setup screen, and then yeah. when you go to the login screen, Safari doesn't recognise yeah. that as the same website. Which yeah. that, that's yeah. about the only time it's let me down, and that's really to do with the way that people code their setups. But yes, okay. it's perfectly safe to use. And if right. if you Good. if you should do that and have a problem where it it doesn't recognise the website as the one that you generated the password for, the the password yep. should be available available from uh, your keychain in the utilities you can dig it out yep. from there and it's, or of course it's listed there under the site or yes, the, yes. It, where it's listed the, there yeah, and okay. you can recover it from yeah. there and then if you enter it on the okay. login screen to i don't know let's say yeah. your facebook page that would yeah. it, you would then store it and it would be recognized so Brilliant. yes that's okay. uh, very much to be promoted I think we should say the, the use of anything and, and talking about passwords, yeah. this isn't in the show notes because it's from a, a few weeks ago, but you might not know this, Jeff, but the, the guy who came up with the, what has been the sort of Bible of how you should go about doing your passwords yeah. in the sort of, it should be more than eight characters long and it should have upper and lower case and numbers and yeah. uh, possibly yeah. a special. He's admitted that actually that's a completely useless way of going about doing passwords. Uh, I think think at the right. time when it, yeah well i think at the time when he came up with that advice the the, the biggest danger was people you know co-workers or whatever simply guessing your password by sitting down at your computer and thinking oh well i want to get into jeff's facebook well what do i know about jeff well he you know he lives at number 10 and his dog is called blinky oh, so, so I, if i put in blinky or you know blinky 10 maybe maybe <laughs> i'll get in but of course, um, that 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 kind of uh, attack is no longer really what people have to is, worry about. Is he the same and, guy that said you should use like the the opening line of a book, or you know, Mary had a little lamb no, as fleece no, as white? No, lots uh, lots of people have suggested those sort of things. Uh, okay. uh, but but um, he was the guy who came up with this, you know, upper lower numbers and all the rest. And yeah, yeah, he's yeah. admitted now that actually that's very little use because a brute forcer will sure. get through it regardless. Sure. And all you do that yeah. way is create passwords that no one can bloody well remember. <laughs> you got it. And thus, and thus they resort to stupid strategies like Blinky yeah. 10A and then Blinky 10B and so on, um, which is not any help. So uh, nope. his, okay. yes, his, his current advice really is actually you should use very long, preferably, you know, 12 okay. or more characters. Um, right. And uh, it doesn't really matter whether they're uppercase, lowercase, dot numbers in or not. It's the number of okay. characters that make it more difficult for the brute force to break but so indeed, some sites say oh yes unfortunately you must you must this is the problem yeah. is that yeah. this this yeah. advice has now been embedded in all sorts of places around the web where if you want to put in mary had a little lamb um yeah. it says no you can't do that you know you must have yeah. eight to twelve yeah. and two two sure. capitals and and that's all been sure. proven to be of course anywhere that specifies the number of characters and and so on is uh, is actually helping because a brute force program could be set yeah. then to go right well it's going to be eight characters yes, long yes and absolutely so the, okay. these, these things don't help so well, that's very helpful yes yeah, good. that's Good. That's quite good, and of course, the the most popular, uh, the most popular password manager, uh, commercial password manager, seems to be One Password, which is very well regarded. But there are others, and as you have said, Jeff, Apple provide us with one uh, in Safari, so yeah. uh, that, that's that's a very good yeah. 
uh, tool Excellent. to use. Good stuff. Right. Well, what shall we have a look at now? That's most of the Apple stories until Mark gets here, I think. Ultrasonic dolphin attacks can fool Amazon, Google and Apple voice assistants, apparently, according to the BBC News. Uh, uh, do you have a read of that one? At all, no, I haven't yet. What, what's, what's that it's one? The, uh, it's the top of the technology section. Uh, it's quite interesting. Okay. In uh, oh, two, gosh, two teams yes. have said that they can get the assistants to respond to commands which are broadcast at high frequency and they've nicknamed it a dolphin attack because the frequencies can be heard by dolphins but are inaudible to humans. Uh, and they were able to make smartphones, dial numbers, visit rogue websites and so on and so well, forth. Uh, well, we have, we have a, an Amazon Echo Dot and yes. so uh, are we liable to be invaded by these uh, high frequency... Well, no, uh, it, it, it's more of a proof of concept, I think. What oh. they've discovered... Uh, US researchers said the attack worked because the target microphone processes the audio and interprets it as if it is human speech. After processing yep. ultrasound, the microphone recording is really quite similar to a normal voice, they said. And I guess from a computer, it doesn't really, you know, it's looking for patterns no. rather than worrying about what yes. the frequencies yes. are. Um, sure. The Chinese researchers have suggested an attacker could embed hidden ultrasonic commands into online videos or broadcast while near victims. Uh, in tests, they were able to make calls, visit website, take photographs, uh, activate yeah. airplane mode, and so on. I've However, um, it says here, the attack will not work on systems which have been trained to respond to only one person's voice, which Google offers. Uh, Apple Siri requires the smartphone to be unlocked before any allowing, allowing any sensitive activities. Uh, and Apple and Google well, both they... allow the wake words to be turned off. Um, okay. So well, really... I mean, the, the Amazon uh, Echo will respond to Alexa from anybody yes. and in fact it turns itself on sometimes when they're the television's on and not not Alexa the, the word Alexa doesn't come up but something that just turns it on you know yeah. it's it's could be anything I don't think it does it now but uh, quite quite well known that at one point if people said seriously uh, near their iPhones to <laughs> activate Hey Siri. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. It's it's uh, it's moved on a bit. Actually, okay. I have the opposite problem yeah. that it doesn't really matter how many times I shout Hey Siri, it doesn't take any notes of me. <laughs> uh, I, I won't respond to that. <laughs> um, but but um, I, I must say we we like our uh, Echo. Uh, if only to ask it for uh, crossword questions. If we want to know how to spell a word or uh, you know who was the wife of a famous president or whatever it's it usually comes up with the answer and we're we're very happy with oh, that that's, that's very good the end of this article basically says whether this yeah. is realistic is another question at the moment there's not a great deal of harm that could be caused by this attack because smart speakers okay. are designed not to do harmful things i would expect True. that the smart speaker vendors will be able to do something about it by ignoring higher frequencies uh, the chinese yeah. same <laughs> said that in future smart speakers could be uh, constructed using microphones designed to filter out sounds which are above 20 kilohertz. So, like a lot of these things, it, it's not, not so much a security... Well, I guess it is a security vulnerability, but it's more proof of concept than something that now somebody's pointed it out, everybody will be making their, either through software or hardware, I guess, will, will change their yep. uh, voice assistants to not respond to ultrasonic <laughs> commands. Well, so, quite. A, a, quite an interesting little piece, if, if nothing yep. else. 
Um, yeah, and definitely. the next one that I had here was, in a way, another kind of intrusion by stealth, really, through the back door. Right. Krause FX, what's the user doing, which is from GitHub. Uh, uh, the coder here is wanted to raise awareness of what you can do uh, from the smartphones gyros the motion sensors yeah. inside smart, smartphones or yep. ipads yep. and he he, yep. he spent an hour building a very simple uh, web app which you can download you follow the link and you can right. download it and it it simply as he says here uh, this is a sunday night one hour hack project where i wanted to see how easy it is to guess what the user is doing based on the data using no uh, java scripting libraries artificial intelligence or even pattern recognition uh, and the source code is available um yeah. this project was not designed to use to track user but to make people aware of how easy it is to use that data and get apple to add a permission prompt uh, for websites and mobile apps so what right. is what you're saying is like when you visit say a news site and it says do you we use cookies do you accept that right. you sometimes get a notification don't you that this website would like to send you notifications are you happy to do that yes no um or this yeah. this website would like to use your location data are you happy with that yes no what he's saying is uh, he, he would like apple to add um this you know this application wants to use your gyro data do you want right. to do that yeah. yes no yeah. right and what he's saying is that i noticed a gap in how websites can determine the activity of the user are based on the acceleration and gyro sensors. Using this data, mm -hmm. web apps can very easily determine if you are using your phone while sitting, standing, walking, running, driving, taking a photograph, lying in the bed, or have the phone on a table, and probably more, mm -hmm. including guesses if you are actively using your phone or if you're impaired by alcohol. So run the web app on your mm -hmm. mobile device. Uh, mm -hmm. You get a, a heading which says, what is the user doing? You are most likely, mm -hmm. and then it shows you the motion information that it's picking up and it makes a guess at what you're what you're doing at the time and the, the point of that is yeah. to make you aware that it's actually very easy yeah. for, for uh, programmers to collect that information Indeed. so again mm. well i don't know i guess it's just it's, yes it's very interesting and he, he's basically just asking i guess all the manufacturers to, to give users a warning if if somebody's trying to collect their their gyro yeah. data yeah there is no end <laughs> there is no end at all and Actually, not long ago, I saw another article where um, somebody was using the gyro data to see if they right. could detect what um, numbers people were entering on the on the number pad of their phone. So, right. if he could seeing if he could detect what phone numbers they were entering or um, you know pin numbers by measuring the gyro data. So, yeah, it's not as harmless as just finding out if you're lounging on the couch or, or having well or whatever yeah i mean in, in those old-fashioned spy films didn't they used to point um a microphone sort of things at the windows to get the vibrations of the windows to find out what people were saying inside the room i mean this is old-fashioned i appreciate power they're called parabolic mics and they they do indeed yeah, that's right. very much so um i, I thought the way yeah. you were going to say is uh i think i've seen them in where they've used the parabolic mic yeah. to uh well now you'd have to do it well i guess with tones but um back in the sort of 60s or maybe even yeah. the 70s when when we had uh, electromechanical dialing you know yep. uh, allegedly people with parabolic microphones could listen and hear the clicking of the dial uh, and then yep. d detect yep. what numbers you were ringing that way so sure. no, <laughs> now it makes it would... a good film 
it's good stuff for a, for a spy film. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's, I'm, uh, it's probably actually perfectly uh, true. I mean, if you think okay. about um, definitely way way before definitely. smartphones, I had one of those. Um, oh yeah, PDA. Yep. And yeah, okay. it, you could enter numbers into it, obviously, because like most of those things, its point was to just store a load of data <laughs> for you. But it had a, a mode where you could play back the tones of right. the number. So because yep, obviously yep. in those days it, it wasn't attached, the idea was that you could call up a number from the memory and hit yep. play the tones and hold that up yep. to your phone and that would play the yep. tones and dial the number that way. I don't know how accurate it was or if it ever really worked very well, but it was a it was a nice idea. It was a way that you could in theory dial the numbers without actually having to... Is that is that a bit like ET, you know, sort of phoning home with that succession <laughs> <laughs> of, uh, of tones. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. There we go. Yeah. Well, yeah. well I think huh? what we'll do now... Oh, it seems only a few minutes. Doesn't it just? See, time flies when you're having fun. What we're going to do, I think, is we're going to have John Nemo and his hardware store. And my apologies to John, because last week I played the incorrect hardware store. And, well, that was my fault. So, take it away, John. We have two unusual Bluetooth speakers here. First one has a long name. It's called the Solar Bluetooth Speaker GRDE 30 Hours Playtime Portable Water Resistant Wireless Bluetooth 4.0 Speakers with Dual Driver and Built-in Mic for Indoor and Outdoor Activities. The buying link is from Amazon and we will do our best to have that in our show notes. The cost in the U.S. is $50. It's certainly worth that. It has the loop on a side for clipping it to something or carrying it around. It has a trap door for charging and also for plugging it into a source device using a typical audio cable. It has a little flashlight on the bottom edge you can use in a pinch. And it has controls on the end panel for all the typical play, pause, and power up and down and volume. The only thing I dislike about this speaker, because it really is very, very good, is the black speaker that we got for review It's almost impossible, unless it's a very bright room or outdoors in the sun, to tell where these controls are. They're black buttons recessed in rubber on the rubber outer surface. So with that gripe aside, this is an excellent speaker. It sounds very good. It's got a particularly sweet and accurate mid-range. The treble and the bass won't win any awards, but they're very clean with a smooth roll-off. So I've been using it all week out in the patio, enjoying it. I like the sound. I take it everywhere I go. It's very easy to hold with the rubberized outer skin, and it's very durable. And the solar panel on the top really does a great job of charging it, because I've only charged it up using USB-AC power, and ever since then, it's been getting its juice from the solar panel. Have a look at the links that we provide and realize this would be great for camping, for hiking, for an office, for a school, for a patio, anywhere, indoors, outdoors, and especially if it's going to charge itself by being near a bright window or able to go outside and pick up the solar rays. Strong recommendation for this, aside from those dark buttons that are recessed on the end panel. The official model name is ES-T60, es dash T60 from GRDE. The other product is also $50 at Amazon, and I mentioned it last week. It has a great name, On and Off, O-N-A-N-O-F-F. The On and Off sound cover, 
iPad Air Cover Plus Integrated Bluetooth Speaker. Boost sound up to 400%. You can get it in silver gray, or the one that we received is in a gold color. Sound Cover, the tablet speaker. I described it last week, and I'm going to describe it again. Imagine your iPad Air was not in a case, and you took it and you put the glass part, the front part, into this sound cover. So the glass is fully protected. And then on the new outer side is a pair of one-inch speakers, and then you pull it open, and you can get good amplified... Power is on. Oop, power is on. It sure power is. Power is off. Okay, it's on. It's off. That's what you hear. The iPad actually attaches to this, so you can't use your iPad, but it's for carrying around because it's a protective cover, not a case, not a stand. It's a cover. So it covers it and it amplifies it. You have to read the reviews. You have to read the descriptions on the company website and also on the Amazon site to understand how it actually works. But it is quite loud. It's very different than the first one that I mentioned, the GRDE, because that's a conventional speaker. This is a very unusual product with very innovative design, but it only works if you do not use a case for your iPad to protect it, the front or the back. It's for a bare Air, and an Air 2, and any of the 9.7 inch recent models of the iPad will fit in this. So please look at this, study the links, read the descriptions, and see these are both innovative products. The GRDE is most innovative because of its solar panel, and the on and off sound cover is most innovative because of its integrated speaker that's built in to the cover. Thanks for listening. Back next week. Thank you, John, for another Nemo's Hardware Store. And, of course, as you know, this is the bit where I tell you about the Amazon affiliate link. I won't go on too long, but as you know, we have an Amazon affiliate link. If you use it, anything you purchase, we get a very small kickback. That money goes into a pot and uh, Mark and I use it purely to support the show, uh, to buy such things as microphones or to pay for uh, the costs of hosting the show, that sort of thing. And it doesn't cost you anything. You just follow the link and if you buy something, we get a very small percentage. So thank you to everybody who uses that. Thank you, of course, also to all of our Patreon subscribers. You really are lovely, lovely people. And while I'm I'm giving out thank yous. Thank you to everybody in the Slack room because without you, half of these stories probably wouldn't get into the show. So thank you, everybody. Okay, and well, Jeff, we'll move on. Um, what should we have a look at? Ah, uh, oh, well, uh, this this is a fairly quick one, isn't it? The, the Google Drive app for the Mac and the PC is shutting down in March. Uh, support will end as of December the 11th, um, and so you should move over to Google's newer apps. Uh, there's a link there to The Verge. Uh, are you a Google Drive user? Google or, Drive? Jeff? No, no. Tell me about it. Uh, well, it's just a cloud storage space uh, like Drop- yeah. Dropbox and uh, OneDrive and lots of other ones. Um, I... Okay. I've kind of, um, listeners of this show will know that I have extracted myself pretty much from the Google ecosphere. So I, I don't, I don't use Google Drive anymore. Um, I don't use Google Mail as my main 
mail. Uh, I don't Google with Google very much uh, because I use DuckDuckGo because it doesn't track what I what I search for. Um, okay. But yes, I used to use Google Drive and like iCloud and all the others. It, it's just a space on the cloud that Google provides you for free. And to in, to enable that to work properly, uh, it's best if you have the an app which is called the Google Drive app, which basically allows you to sync a folder up to the Google Drive. And that's being retired and replaced with a new one, which I think is called Sync and Backup. Uh, so so really, is, is that then nothing to do with Google? I mean, or just being presented by them as well? Or uh, what? Yes, it, well, it's run by Google. It, they just, yeah, yeah, I mean, in the same way as, you know, they started the trend to um, provide you with vast amounts of space on their servers for your email. They they provide you uh, with some space. I think the total, uh, the total free space is 15 gigabytes, some of which is used for your mail and, and so on. Right. And, and that's free. And if you, if you want more space, you can pay them. You know, lots of people do that. Uh, Dropbox, uh, Microsoft OneDrive, um, Apple, you know, iCloud Drive is the same. You get a certain amount for free. And if you want more space, you pay. Or if you're, yeah. or, or if you're like me, what you do is you have half a dozen free ones and <laughs> shuffle the stuff <laughs> well, between I, them. I, I know we've talked about the cloud at, at the, uh, the, the mug, uh, smug meetings, but I'm still a bit uh, in the dark there. I mean, I pay 79 p a uh, a month for 50 gig but i really don't know how to use it and 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 stuff so i hope that one of our meetings we may have a little bit more about that i'm sure Um, i'm sure we can go into that but yes that by paying your 79p there jeff what you're doing is increasing the amount of space that apple let you have to put stuff in the cloud part of that of course is done is is the backups from your obviously if you don't have an iphone or whatever but but for those of us who have an iphone obviously it keeps backups of your phone it it backs up your mail it backs up your photographs okay thing all right most most Good. of that is most of that is automatic so okay. uh, but you can of course now use the iCloud drive and do things like have your desktop kept in the cloud and your photo album and and so on and they work it in exactly the same way they give you some for free and if you want more well you have to give them money i mean my, so, I, I i have a you know a, a blank spot about that but if if i disconnect my laptop from the wi-fi presumably then I don't have access to anything in the cloud, obviously. And then I'm confused about whether it's on the laptop or in the sky. Uh, well, Am I being... yeah. Well, no, because you have the you have somewhat strange situation, really, that you can you can put things in the cloud and have them only there. You you, right. you can have things which are synced with the cloud, which means they're in the cloud but also on your device. Yeah. Uh, or you can have items which are only on your device. Uh, yeah. So I'm not quite clear. Well, yeah. Sometimes it's what? not always clear uh, which is which no. i have to admit and much as i love apple sure. i have to say that they have never really made it particularly clear with icloud what yeah. items are protected by being okay. put into their cloud and which items are in fact purely in the cloud yeah. uh, and that's got well, I... slightly worse of course as they've started this thing with because uh, 
laptops are shifting over to smaller drives by changing to SSD. Yeah, um, yeah. you know they have this. Yeah. They have these features where you can say, uh, "Save me space by moving not frequent used things oh, into the yeah. cloud and then pulling them back down when they're required," which right. uh, c- can get okay. even more complicated. So yeah, it's yeah. not always uh, as transparent as you might think. Uh, most of the others, like um, OneDrive and Google Drive and Dropbox, work on the yeah. work more on the idea that you have a synced folder. So the items that are in that folder exist on your hard drive and in right. the cloud, and uh, will also immediately become available on any other device that you have that's linked to it. So in effect, there okay. you're you're often actually duplicating the you know the information yeah. two or three it, it times. It just isn't very clear on the screen. There isn't a kind of uh, visible. Trails, no, I, you know no what I, mean? I think it sometimes wouldn't hurt if if you had objects which effectively are really residing in the cloud. If a bit like a, a, an alias has that little arrow on it, if they perhaps had yeah. a, little, a yeah. little cloud, you know, yeah, you'd know or, where you are, or, or like they do mm-hmm. on iOS, they have that cloud with an arrow which says this is available to download from the cloud. Okay, uh, but there we go. Yeah, all right. So, uh, yes, if, if you're a Google Drive user, you will have to change to their new app and you'll be hard pushed to miss it, I can assure you, because probably every time you open your Google Drive, you'll get a great big warning saying <laughs> you need you need to change your you need to change to the new app. Right. So there we go. Uh Right, what else is in the news? I had a piece from a couple of weeks ago, which we never got round to discussing, uh, from Digital Trends, which is, in a world flooded with Wi-Fi, there is still room for Bluetooth. And this is actually about the fact that the latest version of Bluetooth, uh, 4.1, I think, is no longer longer a, a parent to child connection which is how Bluetooth has always worked in the past. You have a direct peer-to-peer connection, you know, from your, between your Mac and your keyboard or between your iPhone and your earbuds or whatever. The idea is that as mesh Wi-Fi is is beginning to become the new, you know, the new shiny. Um, are, are you familiar with mesh Wi-Fi at all, Jeff? No, I'm not. Okay, well, mesh Wi-Fi is the idea that till now most of us have had uh, our internet comes into our house, it goes into a you know, into our router, and then that yeah. router produces a Wi-Fi yep. network, and we connect all our devices to that one single point Wi-Fi, uh, and yep. that means that for some people, there are places in your house, like for example, in my case, in my bathroom, where the, sig- the <laughs> signal is very weak, which it can be a pain if I'm lying in the bath trying to listen to a podcast because the, the <laughs> signal, <laughs> the signal to my router is not the greatest. Okay. Now, yeah, so the idea with Mesh is that instead of just having one uh, Wi-Fi router, you have two or three, which you have in your house. And that they well they work as a as a mesh as you might expect you they right. all transmit the same network so in in a right. way it's like the idea of having can have wireless access extenders can't you or yes, add-on I've, points I've got, yeah yeah sure yeah so but the idea with the mesh is that instead of 
having a main point and then a kind of extension. All, yep. all of the mesh hubs are equals, and they talk to each other, and they all put out right. a, they all put out the, a Wi-Fi signal, and therefore you're you get an ev- a much more even coverage wherever you are. And Good. Uh, that's at the moment it's you know I think it's a bit pricey. There's two or three companies who are doing it, but a, a sort of a starter set will set you back to two to three hundred pounds. Oh, right. uh, but sense. as it becomes the new way forward, and I'm pretty sure it will become the standard way. Right. You know, I'm sure the prices will come down. Um, and the idea is, I can imagine much more if you if you're talking about running a business, you know, in a big office, or I don't know, uh, you know, covering a convention center or whatever. Then a mesh wireless is is going to be so much better because. A mesh Bluetooth. Well, no. The, the, then the idea with this mesh. This, oh, mesh wire. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Now the idea with this mesh Bluetooth it is exactly mm. the same. That now that the current standard allows a managed flood, I believe is what they call it, or multicast. I'm not sure if those are exactly the same. But the right. what they've done is in the latest Bluetooth protocol, it's generic access profile, uh, which can controls how Bluetooth devices scan, broadcast connect to their peers um until bluetooth mesh the gap had a typical parent child network relationship starting with bluetooth 4.1 the gap has broadened its networking abilities and bluetooth advice devices have gained the ability to play the roles of both a parent and a child giving all the devices the ability to connect and broadcast to any peer Um, and so by using a bluetooth mesh you will be able to have a similar to your wi-fi a low powered um bluetooth mesh which can be used in i guess for internal uh connections Uh, will that will that have the same problem we have nowadays of the bluetooth running your batteries down quite quickly i think not i mean the newer versions of of bluetooth certainly uh four are much lower uh-huh. power than than the early Bluetooth. I mean, when okay. I you know when I had earlier iPhones, a, a lot of the people you know a lot of advice was if you don't if you're not using the Bluetooth on your phone, you should turn it off because it will drain yep. the battery. Yep. And I had it off because I didn't have any Bluetooth devices. But I mean, since I've started using Bluetooth earpieces or Bluetooth earbuds or having an Apple Watch which connects to my to my phone by Bluetooth, I never turn the Bluetooth Bluetooth off and you don't right. I don't see any significant difference whether the Bluetooth is on or off these days. So I mean early early versions um, of Bluetooth certainly did suck the battery and if you weren't using it it was a good idea to turn it off. But like so many things no. it it's um it's got better and uses less power and such is the way the technologists work, isn't it, Jeff? They refine and what refine. It, what about the quality of music transmitted over Bluetooth? Because that that can be pretty bad, can't it? Uh, to Bluetooth speakers and things. Yeah, it's just doesn't it's sound that brilliant. It's getting better, I think. I think it's getting better. I read somewhere that um, I think Google have introduced a, a sort of a Bluetooth iDef music standard. Okay. It's definitely getting better. Right. As always, there are some diehards who are going to tell you that, you know, there is no way that a Wi-Fi set of headphones could ever compare to a wired set in the same way as some people would tell you that lithography would never be as good as hot metal (laughs) or that... uh, Yes, and, and so on and so forth, you know, or that CDs would never be as good as vinyl. Who take your pick? I, I think for okay. I think 
for most people, yes, at the mm-hmm. minute, if you're an audiophile and, and you want to listen to a really great recording of, I don't know, Beethoven's sure. Fifth, then I probably wouldn't recommend sticking a pair of cheap Bluetooth headphones yeah. on. That said, okay. last week, John Nemo was rev- reviewing a set of Bluetooth headphones, right. which were $500, and, wow. you know, very much claimed to compete on par with a decent set of wired headphones. And he was very, very impressed. So much so that he said those of us who are interested in such things should start sticking five pound notes down the <laughs> you know, don't have a don't have that second point. Stick five pound in the jar towards your five hundred dollar Bluetooth headphones. Okay. So All right. I'm not an audiophile, Jeff. Right. I'm not, you know, and I find that the quality that I get through my uh, admittedly very cheap earbuds is good enough for me and they are very cheap. When everybody was everybody was going on about getting their hundred and sixty pound AirPods I bought some. Uh, I bought some eleven-pound Chinese Wi-Fi earbuds, and uh, they've been okay. they've been doing me very well. But yes, I'm sure they don't compare in uh, sound quality by by any stretch of the imagination. One one last thing: is there something you can help me dispel the image of you sitting in the bath listening to a podcast? I, I, I somehow that that's very worrying. <laughs> Uh, well, there we that'll go. Be, that'll be with me for some time. Yes. <laughs> well, perhaps you might need to have a stiff drink after the show. Well, yeah. maybe so. Pour yourself maybe a so. gin and tonic. <laughs> Strong gin and tonic. Okay. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, so Bluetooth mesh is a clever way to fix uh, mostly range. I think one of because one of the biggest problems of, of Bluetooth, isn't it, is like which I do you yeah. do suffer is you know if you've got your Bluetooth headphones on and uh, you walk into the kitchen, you know, to get a cup of tea you quite often find that either the signal degrades to almost unusable or you'll get the dreaded disconnected, which can be very, very annoying. And, of course, with the idea with a mesh, I believe, is that that would allow your Bluetooth to continue working at great distance. Anyway, it's just another another development in how we're going to completely pickle ourselves in uh, (laughs) electromagnetic (laughs) transmissions. In microwaves or whatever, Yeah, we're going to be, you know... (laughs) Much, much to Mark's uh, delight when I talk about my desire to have true wireless charging. And I don't mean these things where you stick a magnetic thing on the back. I want my phone to charge over the air just by being in the same room. And he says, you know, you're right. going to be you're going to be pickled in <laughs> in microwaves or something. I said, well, we're all pickled in everything now. I don't think it makes a lot of odds. And besides which, I, I hate I hate cables with such a passion, Jeff. I really do. I can't wait to have, you know, Nikola Tesla style uh, transmitted uh, power yeah. i think we, we'd better all come over to your bathroom because it seems to be the only place that isn't um, <laughs> covered <laughs> yeah there's a waves. Uh, there's uh, apparently it's got a very place. very poor very poor <laughs> amount of uh, ef in there dear oh dear yes, okay, okay. uh right Bye. oh i know shall we this one this one intrigued me um we'll skip over the hard drive reliability by manufacturer from yeah, back, back plays nice. it's uh it's interesting to people who care about that things i'll just say it's it's in the show notes it's a link to the Backblaze quarterly report on their hard drive failure rates the only thing i think i'd probably point out is most of them work out annually to about a one to two percent failure rate however 
there's one particular drive that caught my eye, and that was the four terabyte Seagate ST four thousand DX triple zero, and that appears to have a failure rate of about eight point six three percent annually. So if you're looking for a four terabyte C, uh, drive, don't buy one of those. <laughs> That doesn't seem to be a very good bet. Right. Right. So, yes, the one we were talking about while we had a, a short break there, uh, and John Nemo was telling us about uh, what was in his store, is this one about a student who invented clothes which will grow as your baby does uh, mm. from the Telegraph. And uh, we both found that yeah, quite fascinating. Yeah, it's also in the Times. So okay, well, then I, I picked um, it up from the Telegraph, but uh, I'm sure it's yeah, everywhere. Lovely yeah. picture um, in a kind of pleating and then a kind of molecular structure yeah it's it's really quite fascinating yeah. this guy yeah. is called uh i hope i'm probably going to mangle his name it's ryan yazin by the look of it uh, yeah. uh, and he invented yeah. this yeah. at the royal college of art and he's mm-hmm. going to launch a range of clothing called petty plea um unlike other elastic materials this expands in perpendicular directions when stretched as it says the children tend to go through seven clothing sizes between the ages of six and 36 months which i'm sure we can all attest to can't we jeff uh, babies, you know, babies appear to grow out of their clothes quicker than you can buy the damn things. Yes, um, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah, you know, small children, you, you, uh, it's bad enough. I mean, my boy's boy's nearly nine, and you know, you buy him a onesie, but yeah. for Christmas, and buy it feels like by Easter, it's up halfway up. Well, uh, our son is forty-five, so I think he's outgrown some of these <laughs> yeah. uh, early toddlers. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, right. According with... to Aviva, yeah. parents spend an average of two thousand pounds on clothing before their child is three, uh, and then the cost of transport uh, harms the environment, and the pressure on ch- for cheap clothing leads to poor conditions yeah. for the manufacturers. Mr. Yazin, who apparently studied aeronautical engineering uh, before he decided to go to the College of Art, uh, yeah. has uh, has a synthetic fiber which uses a pleated structure that allows it to follow the negative or Poisson ratio, uh, a phenomenon in which materials become fatter when stretched. Now, I've got a link in the show notes here, uh, Jeff, which is really quite, well, some of it's quite technical, but but at the beginning, they give you an overview of what a negative Poisson's ratio means. And what they're saying yeah. is that, that most, most materials, when you stretch them like a rubber band, they get yeah. longer, but proportionately they get thinner as the yep. uh, material yep. is stretched out. Yep. And this that is called the Poisson ratio. They explain in there. For example, apparently rubber has a Poisson ratio of about 0.5, and cork right. has a Poisson ratio of basically zero in that it doesn't stretch or squat. No. Okay. However, if you have a negative Poisson ratio, as you pull on a material, it not only expands lengthwise, but also yeah. widthwise. And possibly also right. depth-wise, depending on the on the structure. And the link there, sure. which I think is to uh, Wisconsin University, the the bottom half of the article is quite technical, I think, and a lot of links to academic papers. But the the top half of it explains how this works and has some quite natty little sort of paper models that explains how you can create molecules which, which can do this. Right. Uh, there's one in Sounds yeah. Good. There's one in there that looks a bit like a, co- a clock, a load of clock springs connected together. And so that as you pull it in one direction, the, sp- 
springs unwind, yep. making the material expand in the other direction as well. Okay. And right. yeah, and they've wow. they've, they've got a, a a little gif there of a piece of of a sponge, like a cellular sponge material. Um, right. And as they pull it, it it just gets bigger in all directions, which is uh, sort of very mm. counterintuitive and quite fascinating. Indeed. So, yes. Indeed. Uh, very very good. Very clever. Very very clever okay. indeed. So yes, uh, as you said, he's made this uh, material which is is both pleated and constructed from this synthetic material which has a negative Poisson mm. ratio and so expands in both directions. It does, it does it. look and a bit like a lizard skin though, doesn't it? It does, <clears throat> yes. Um, and what's he say here? This material has been designed for outerwear such as coats and jackets and is waterproof. Uh, Mr. Yazin said he's yeah. experimenting with organic materials to create other types of clothes should the style of synthetic fibre not be to everybody's taste. And there's a nice, yeah, there's a nice little picture of a Chinese girl by the look of it. And you're yeah. right, it does look, bending. it looks very, yeah, bending over, and and it does look very, um, it looks like a bit like a, yeah, sort of a snake, snake skin, isn't it? Or uh, yeah, it, it I wonder if look there at, are parallels in the natural world that that have this propensity. Mm, that would be that would be interesting, very would, interesting. I mean, animals have to get rid of their skin when they get to a certain size, but be interested to see if there was a Komodo dragon somewhere in the world that. You know, had had sort of sorted this as well. I don't know, just a thought. Yeah. So there we go. It's uh, and yes, you can see that it looks like it would make very good outerwear. I mean, she's wearing what appears to be a sort of a ski suit or something similar. Doesn't yeah? I don't think you'd want to be wearing it as your <laughs> shirt, shirt and trousers, do you? But uh, that said, no, but beginning. it's a beginning. And uh, of course, yes, when you have small children, things like snow suits, which you like to put them in in sure. the winter, are often quite yeah. expensive, and it can be very annoying when they've grown out of it in about twelve weeks. Yeah. So, Good okay. for him, and right. apparently he's won a prize. He's yeah. won a he has won James two thousand pounds, which doesn't sound like very much, I have to admit. Uh, as the UK winner of the James Dyson Award, um, and then he competes against other winners uh, from elsewhere around the world for a chance at a thirty thousand pound prize. So good, good for him. Absolutely, well done. Well Absolutely. done. Good job. Well done. <laughs> I found that intriguing. And uh, so the link yeah. is in there and the link indeed to the Wisconsin University paper. Uh, right. Well, I think we're, we're coming to the end now, Jeff. Hot new app. Most of us can't be bothered to download it, apparently. It seems that... People have got tired of um, keeping up with things or what? Uh, yeah. When it comes to downloading new apps, it would appear the majority of us are old dogs and we can't be taught new tricks or at least not convinced to download new apps. More than half of American smartphone users downloaded exactly zero new apps a month. Uh, well, well. Hmm. I, I don't know what to make out of that because there was, in some ways, I'm not surprised. No, nor am I, even though I don't have an iPhone. I mean, there seem to be such a good range of basic uh, apps already supplied and, and new ones, you know, in various fields of um, use. But well, constantly, yep, is that yep. new, new things or updated things? Well, I, mean, I think it... they, they're talking about new things. They're saying new. new. Although well, I guess possibly, possibly, I mean, with most of us, if you've downloaded an app, you know, it, it just updates itself automatically. You don't have yeah. to do that no, faffing so about, talking about new new things. Um, I guess the reason that I'm not that surprised is when smartphones were a new phenomenon yeah. and, you know, apps were exploding and, and people would be down you know constantly hunting for new novel things to download onto their iPhones or Android right. phones or whatever uh, i think yeah. there became a sort of uh, 
belief amongst certain people that that could go on forever. But, you know, explosive new growth never lasts forever, does it? It just no, it no. can't. No. I mean, I have, I don't know exactly how many apps I have on my phone. Quite a lot, I think. Many of which I probably use very, very mm -hmm. rarely. And I don't download very many new apps. Occasionally, you know, if something comes to my attention as something right. I might I might be interested in. But, I mean, I, listeners will know I, I downloaded a new player called Studio. Video player um, and paid one. Right. I paid one pound ninety nine to allow it to have access to uh, an unlimited number of songs in the playlist because okay. uh, be, because the Apple Music player on my iPhone just annoyed the living daylights out of me. Um, because it, you know, it constantly going on about, do you want to sign up for Apple Music and get all this stuff from the cloud? Yes, yes. It's like, no, look, I, yes. I just want it to do like an iPod and I've got all this stuff on my phone. Can you just play that? Yeah, please? okay, um, yeah. But you know, I I download very very few new mm. apps. Mm. Uh, occasionally, I might pick up a game. You know, you you get a, yeah. games if you're into that a, a new a new crossword game or Naughty Pigs, Angry Birds type thing. But I, oh. I think most of us, the smartphone market has become a mature market and I suspect the same is pretty much applied to apps unless you come up with something really innovative and really attractive to a large number of people people yeah, have sure. people have installed the things they want they've got their Twitter and their Facebook and sure. you know maybe, maybe sure. a sat nav and maybe a couple of games and they tend to stick with them I certainly do yeah. I'm probably the sort of person who does keep an eye on what's available you know I, I will download well, yeah. I will download Download a new, you know, note-taking app or that sort of thing. But I have to admit, yeah, even we... in the end, a, a lot of that I do because, you know, I do a podcast. I go to the uh, mug, and it's handy to know these things. And if people come to me and say, "Oh, what do you think about this?" or "Can you recommend a, a decent cheap diary app for your iPhone?" But yeah. if it wasn't for that, I, I suspect that I would probably download even less than I do, and I really don't download very many. I one or two a month. Mm. I would have thought. I think the days of people downloading app after app are mm. probably long gone. I think the not. I right. think the novelty is just you know the novelty has expired. Sure. I, you know, I, I don't have an iPhone, so I can't. I can't talk uh, from personal experience. But from a logical point of view, that seems like that right. You know that uh, there is a limit to how many new things you can. I mean, are, most of these uh, are free, are they? It's, it's just uh, not a question of... A, a, qu quite a lot of them are free. Uh, you know, not yeah. everything is free, but they're very, they're often, if they're not free, they're often very inexpensive, you know, 79p, yeah. 99p. Yes, right. um, not a question of cost. No, obviously mm. some of the more, the sort of apps that you're likely to use as a service constantly, some of those come with a subscription, yeah. things like Evernote or, okay. as I, or we discussed with, with Oliver from Boinks. Oh yeah, there is a bit of a. I, I wouldn't call it a war in heaven, but there's there's at the moment there's a definite shake up because the the developers cannot sustain themselves on you know seventy nine p here and ninety nine p there. Oh, yeah, you um, do wonder. And, yeah. and at the same time, mm -hmm. the 
the public cannot mm. afford, or uh, nor would they tolerate, right. paying a, a subscription for everything in sight. Because it, even sure. if they sure. were pennies a month, then if I added yeah. up all the apps on my phone, that would probably be a substantial yeah. sum, sum of money. Uh, yeah. And it's quite likely, of course, that actually, if I was to go through my phone, I could probably throw away 75% of the apps on there and never miss them. But sure. so there's a the industry is in flux and I, th- I think both the consumers and the creators are trying right. to find a, a middle ground somewhere where the, you know that the developers can make a decent living because they have to yeah. put food on their table and shoes on their kids feet just the same as the rest of us and yeah. that the consumers can pay what they feel is you know a reasonable price unfortunately there has been yeah. this kind of spiral downwards to apps which cost nothing yeah. which just in reality has not actually helped anybody on the surface it's it's great but it has led to the and i suspect that's also part of the reason that there are you know there's this 50 percent of smartphone users who've never download anything because it, right. it's so confusing you go onto an app store mm. and you just yeah. put in there uh, i don't know note-taking app and then yeah, 50, you get 50 or 100 note-taking apps and they all say they cost nothing but some of them absolutely cost some of them have in-app purchases and some of them do this and some of it it just become yeah. so baffling you think well oh absolutely yeah <laughs> oh sure. no i shan't sure. bother I'll, I'll i'll make do with what comes on the phone yeah so quite right. I, I don't i'm not actually as surprised by that as, as some people might uh no, might think. no. well i think what we'll do is we'll just uh, mention this new film here which is in the news okay. which is uh benedict cumberbatch is going to play yep. Thomas Edison in a film called Current Wars, which is about <laughs> yeah. the tussle between Thomas Edison and George Westinghouse yeah. about how electricity should be distributed in the US by AC or DC, something which I did know a little bit about, so I'm 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 looking forward to this. Did you did you know anything about that piece of history? Uh, not really, but I, I do remember something from my school school days about this, yes. Um Clearly, it, uh, it started in Europe and um, the name of Tesla comes up, I'm sure. Yes, yes, Nikolai Tesla is involved in it. As I recall from my school days, I believe Thomas Edison wanted to distribute uh, electricity by DC, something which now, of course, would seem incredibly strange to us. Of course. But, uh, he he sure. actually believed that alternating current was dangerous in, in some manner. I, I don't recall. How? I'm sure this film maybe will explain it to us. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, AC is, is dangerous if you don't treat well, it properly, yeah, of course. Uh, but, um, all, all electricity is dangerous, but uh, uh, the, the, the yes. thought of having DC yes. coming straight out of the socket strikes me as rather more frightening. Sure. It does sound <laughs> a great. It's a great subject for a film. Yes, as I recall, uh, again, from yeah. my school days, it was a fairly bitter struggle. And apparently there was quite a lot of underhandedness and dirty dirty tricks may well have been involved. So that probably would make for a very good film indeed. So I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely. I believe that's being released. It might be sooner in, in, in the States, but I think the worldwide release is next yeah. March. So as they say, yeah. a battle which will electrify science geeks. <laughs> we yeah. see what they did there. Well, uh, what we'll do now, Jeff, was we'll go into yep. Cutie Melon moment. Ruth is going to tell us about how she records videos for her YouTube channel, which is, of course, uh, Cutie Melon. And then when she's done, we'll round up the show. Right. Take it away, Ruth.
welcome to this week's Melon's Moment. This week, I will be talking about how I film and edit my YouTube videos. I film on an application called Video FX Live. It's very simple. You press start, and if you've selected a countdown, it will count you down from how many seconds. Um, you can put a filter on it. It's very nice. It's very simple. It's very goofy. I place my phone on my tripod, which consists of a selfie stick. And if you don't have a selfie stick, you can always go onto Amazon and buy one, cheap one. My one was from Poundland, but I'm sure you can get one on Amazon for probably under a pound. And if you're ordering on Amazon, maybe use our affiliate code, nudge nudge. <laughs> I am, my selfie stick is then attached to a full-sized tripod, which I used previously for a telescope. And then what I do after I filmed my YouTube video, I will go downstairs onto a desktop. I use um, iMovie to edit because it's very simple. You just drag and drop. And then if there's any voiceovers or music needed, I will put those in. And then I save. Always save your work because I once didn't save my work and I completely lost all of my footage. And then I was a couple months behind on my YouTube videos because I was filming a lot of videos that day. And... I learnt my lesson that day. After I have dragged and dropped everything and saved, I then upload to YouTube. I then choose a um, thumbnail once it's uploaded to YouTube. And for some reason, when you go straight to YouTube, not like not dragging and dropping it from your desktop to YouTube, um, how most people do it actually, I think, um, it goes to private. So what I do is I just change the video settings from private to public and voila my youtube video is up and i just wait for the comments and um everything else the likes the dislikes and then i just do that for the next week so yeah i hope you were interested and i hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast if you have a suggestion for the next cutie melon moment then let me know at cutie melon 3000 at gmail.com that's all i have time for this week but i will see you next time goodbye and thank you very much for that ruth a very interesting report and a good recommendation from you on how to go about recording a simple video for youtube well, I think that's about all there is for this week. Uh, Jeff, thank you for coming on. Okay. Well, no, thank you for having me. I uh, I enjoyed the experience. Um, I'm clearly not a geek and I'm just an ordinary user, but I hope I've added some something of interest for our listeners. But um, no, I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. You know, it's always excellent to uh, have somebody who is, as you might say, the man on the Clapham omnibus, because sometimes we can all get a little bit over overwrought us geeks and forget that not everybody knows all the ins and outs of okay don't worry i'm here i've made it yes
Yes, my timing is is brilliant, as always. Anyway, I'm here for the show. What's on the show this week? Uh, well, <laughs> the end. You can record the um, social bit if you want. Yeah, I'll do that. Uh, right, how's it going again? And, of course, you can find us on all the usual social media malarkey outlets. We've got the Facebook. Look for Essential Apple on the Facebook. We've got the Google+. Plus. Again, look for Essential Apple there. We've got the Twitter, and you're no prizes for guessing what that one's called yet, at Essential Apple. Uh, and if you want to follow me, it's at Ocean Speed. And I don't know why you would, because I'm very boring at the moment and really don't have anything to report. Although I might be moving house. We shall see how that goes. And if they want to get hold of you, Simon, how can they get hold of you? You can find me, of course, as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. And a very special thank you to our guests for coming on the show and filling a very small void, it seems to be, when I don't appear on the show these days. I'd better let you close up. All right then, mate. Bye. All right, cheerio. Bye. part of the mymac.com podcasting network where you can find such excellent shows as guy and gaz on the mymac show tim and david on the tech fan show the three geeky ladies the geekiest show ever uh, the excellent bart bouchots with his let's talk the club nintendo and many many more yeah i think just a straight ad don't you yeah like what what would we say like tech fan podcast or are you are you interested in technology and gadgets uh-huh do you um want to listen to two guys who know technology and gadgets are we claiming to be those guys yes <laughs> well there, there we go are we claiming to be that be those guys you be the judge tech fan podcast no that'll work let's yeah? use that as yeah. an ad